And that was definitely the root of a lot of the biggest lessons I learned, you know, not being afraid to start a conversation with just about anyone, because most people are kind, most people are so excited to share their culture, especially with a foreigner. And that was something I experienced everywhere is that no matter where I was, people were so excited to talk about their country and talk about what they were proud of about their country. Welcome to the Brown Girl Podcast. This show was created to elevate the voices and perspectives of dual identity South Asians around the world. Here we have conversations on topics and issues that impact our community, as well as share the stories of personal successes and the struggles that often go unsaid. My name is Julie George, and I'm your host. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. For today's episode, we are talking about solo traveling. This is a topic that I love talking about. I've personally had some really amazing experiences traveling abroad that I think have been really instrumental in terms of just personal growth and development. And because of those experiences, I'm just a huge proponent of people getting out there and seeing the world more. When I was 25, I had a chance to go to Bangkok, Thailand for about five months. So this was um, this was in 2016. And basically, I went there to do a study abroad program for my master's degree. So I was working full time, but I was going to school part time. And my school was based in the US, but they had an international campus in Bangkok. And so I was able to get an educational leave of absence approved by my work. And I got to go away and do the study abroad. And It was just such an incredible experience spending those few months in Southeast Asia. I had coordinated my schedule so that I only had classes on two or two or three days of the week. And that left me a lot of flexibility to travel more around that around that region. I traveled almost every weekend, either solo or with friends I had met. And it really felt like my own little um, eat, pray, love kind of adventure all around Southeast Asia. I always wish that I had studied abroad in undergrad. So I I went to undergrad at Purdue. They had this huge study abroad program. And I, for whatever reason, did not take advantage of it then and always kind of regretted it. And so when I saw that my grad program had a similar opportunity, I knew I had to make it happen, Um, especially because I thought to myself, I'm never going to have, I'm most likely never going to have this opportunity to be completely unencumbered and single and no kids and have the freedom to be flexible and and uproot my life for months at a time. And looking back, it was truly one of the best life experiences um, that I had. And I'm, I'm so thankful I got to do it then. And then fast forward a few years later in 2019, I spent several months living in Bristol, England, which is about two and a half hours driving distance southwest of London. And so that I was, um, I went there for work. My company had a presence in the UK. And so I had the chance to take part in a global exchange program. And it had always been a dream of mine to work abroad. And so when I first started my career after college, I worked at this huge company that had a presence all around the world. And I made sure to put it on my career development plan every single year that I wanted to work abroad. I put it on my plan. I put it out into the universe. I made sure that my managers and all the leaders around me knew that this was something I wanted to do. And so when I got the opportunity to do it almost seven years later, 
it was definitely like a personal career milestone that I was so excited and, and grateful for. So between both of those experiences, living abroad and then lots of uh, shorter term trips in between, I've really seen the value in what travel can do in terms of shaping your perspective and just making you a more well-rounded person. It really forces you to step outside your comfort zone and just channel your inner courage. You know, when you are by yourself, you have to troubleshoot everything on your own and there's no one to talk about your plans with and no one to figure things out with. And I think there's so much growth that comes from that, um, just with problem solving, building up your your self-confidence and overall, again, just making you a more well-rounded person. And so because of those reasons, again, I'm just a big proponent of people getting out there and, and seeing the world. So for today's conversation, I'm so excited to have Vina Morali on the episode to talk about her experiences with solo travel. So a little bit about Vina. Vina is a 22-year-old Indian-American woman who is passionate about inspiring people to travel internationally and venture outside their comfort zones. Born and raised in the suburbs of Chicago, she moved to New York City for her undergraduate education, where she caught the travel bug after studying abroad in Prague, Czech Republic. Knowing that she wanted to prioritize travel as a tool for education, Vina graduated a semester early with a plan to travel the world solo for six months. Her trip spanned six months, five continents, and nearly 30 countries and changed the way she sees the world around her. She currently resides in New York City and hopes to continue traveling throughout her adulthood. So we had a really great conversation. We talked about Vina's experiences uh, traveling abroad. We talked about how she managed to budget and save money in order to, to travel for extended periods of time. We talked about how she combated loneliness. Um, we talked about safety, misconceptions that people have about solo travel and advice that she has for people who may be interested in exploring solo traveling. Um, Vina also wrote an ebook called Far Wide and Solo, where she documented her travels and lessons learned. I actually read that whole book in advance of this recording, and it was such a good short read. I would definitely recommend that book to anyone who wants to get inspired around the idea of travel and using travel as a means for education and personal development. So I hope you guys enjoy today's conversation. Hi, Vina. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So you have traveled to 56 countries, right? Yes. You're 22. Tell us about how you got started with traveling. You know, what kind of, what inspired you to start traveling? Did you travel a lot when you were younger with your family? Like kind of give us, give us the backstory. Yeah, of course. So I was definitely super lucky to have parents that did prioritize travel when I was younger and um, we definitely took a lot of trips around the U.S., trips to India to visit my extended family, and then a couple of trips to Europe, like kind of like London, the Paris, Spain, like kind of the typical vacation spots that you would go to, but nothing too crazy. But I definitely would say that I traveled more than the average person, which I was super lucky um, to have done before I went to college. And I think that was what made me realize that I did want to study abroad in college in some capacity. So I was lucky enough to go right before COVID in the fall of my sophomore year in 2019, where I chose to study abroad in Prague. And that was where I 
basically was traveling every single every single weekend um, to a new place. And I was just hooked on the novelty of a new culture and experiencing a new place every single week. So I think that was where I truly caught the travel bug and was like, I need to prioritize travel as much as I can for the rest of college and for the rest of my life. And I think that's where I truly, truly fell in love with, you know, planning my own trips and choosing where to go and kind of traveling intentionally as opposed to kind of just going on a vacation, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And so you you studied abroad when you were an undergrad. And then tell us about the um, the other solo travel experience that you had after college, that six month solo adventure. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I totally caught the travel bug on my study abroad experience. And I knew that after that, I wanted to travel as much as I could before I graduated, um, because I knew that, you know, things would be different once I started uh, working post grad. So um, unfortunately, COVID did hit right after my study abroad semester. So any plans that I had to take, like, um, travel kind of influence classes or do another study abroad semester were kind of thrown away because they just I just couldn't you know obviously have the opportunity to do that but I did know that I would be able to graduate a semester early and I knew that in some capacity I wanted to travel or live abroad or do something kind of involved with traveling during that six month period where I would be able to graduate early and after COVID and not being able to travel for two mu- two years nearly, I knew that I wanted to go out and do something super incredible in terms of travel, which is when I planned this whole kind of six month trip around the world where I visited over 25 countries um, in the span of six months, doing a lot of just solo travel. Um, and 90% of it was solo travel and just going and having some of the most incredible experiences that have been on my bucket list forever. and. Yeah, it was one of the most life-changing things I've ever done. Super scary, but also incredibly rewarding. And I could not, you know, I have absolutely no regrets about, you know, graduating early. It was one of the best decisions I ever made. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds amazing. How did you go about deciding, like, which countries to travel in? You know, did you stay in hostels or hotels? Like, you know, did you meet a lot of people? How, what was that whole experience like? Yeah, so I think that because I knew that this would be one of the only times in my life where I could truly travel freely with no kind of like, I guess, nothing really holding me back. I wanted to go to places that I thought that I might not make it to on like just like a PTO vacation or like on a like one week vacation that I could take when I was, you know, working. So I wanted to go places that were kind of further as well as more off the beaten path. So for example, I went to places like Uzbekistan and Nepal and Australia. And those are places that are definitely much harder to get to from the US if you only have like a one week vacation or, you know, Mm -hmm. seven days off from your job. So I definitely prioritized going to places that I didn't think would be um, as accessible on like a short break, um, which I was super happy about. And a lot of the places also just happened to be things that were on my bucket list for so many years now. So that ended up being a good way kind of get to those places and the third factor that kind of was there was present for like half of the six-month trip was also COVID I could only really go to places that were open and allowing vaccinated travelers in so that was another consideration Uh that I had to make but towards the end of my trip um, international travel was kind of returning back to normal so that was super lucky for me but 
To the second part of your question, yes, I stayed predominantly in hostels, both for budget, also as a solo traveler, I did want to meet a lot of people and I did end up meeting a lot of people both through hostels as well as just um, different excursions and even just talking to like tour guides or taxi drivers or people at restaurants, like you meet so many different people, even if they're not, you know, the same age, or even if they're not like another traveler, you meet so many locals, as well as travelers and backpackers. And all those people definitely contributed a different perspective than my own. And I was super lucky to have met so many people along the way. And I definitely think going as a solo traveler also makes you more open to meeting people. So I think that's one of the pros of going alone as opposed to, you know, maybe having someone to fall back on to talk to at dinner and things like that. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I know you mentioned budget and hostels, and we'll definitely talk a little bit more about that soon. But um, tell us about how you documented your travels, because I know you you did this in a couple ways. So I'd love for you to share with the audience. Yeah, of course. So my main kind of way of documenting my travels was on my Instagram, NYC to Nomad, which I created kind of for the purpose of having a little like diary or journal for myself to look back on my travels. And as I started documenting um, more of my friends and other people started finding it and started to follow along, which was really incredible for me. So definitely, if you want to see any of the photos or highlights from any of the places that I went to on my trip, give me a follow at NYC to Nomad. And the other big project that I took on after the end of my trip was that I actually wrote a travel log called Far, Wide and Solo, which basically in, um was a compilation of some of the most important lessons that I learned from different countries around the world. And you can read that for free. It's in my uh, Instagram bio. It is a free ebook. So yeah, that also offers a little bit more of an intimate look at Mm -hmm. the stories behind the pictures that you can see on my Instagram. So I have a couple different ways that you can learn more about my travels in addition to this podcast, obviously. Yeah, so that ebook that you mentioned, I I know we just talked about this right before, but I read that in its entirety. It's a short read, mm-hmm. but it was a phenomenal book. You are a phenomenal writer. Like I thoroughly enjoyed reading your book because you write in such a way that creates such great imagery for the reader. Like reading it, I felt I was there with you. I could picture the environment you're physically in I could also feel the emotions that you're feeling like it was such a pleasure to read and I'm, I'm not just saying that like I really loved reading your book and I think part of it was also it took me back to like my days when I was traveling abroad and I just remember like those distinct feelings and emotions and like I didn't I mean I didn't write a book but I had a blog that I kept just like a WordPress blog um, and I was never the type to like post trips and things like on social media, but I did like the idea of keeping a blog more for myself. Um, One that I could write about, write about my memories, you know, add a few photos. And sometimes like even now, you know, I can, it's still, it's still live somewhere. But um, I'm so glad I had that because it's so easy to like forget those little moments and encounters. And it's just great to have it be memorialize somewhere so that you could look one day and be reminded of all those feelings and times of growth. And I just don't think that gets captured in the same way when you're just looking at digital photos through, you know, social media or Facebook or whatever. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I feel like the two main reasons that I wrote kind of this big 
uh, or I like took on this project of writing a book was that one I met so many people that were like I would love to hear your stories like I would love to hear how you actually did this and I'm sure you can relate to that and it was one way that I could kind of show people what I went through but also to it was like a memory capsule for myself to look back on in 10 years and think wow like I can't believe I did that or wow it was I completely forgot that I met that person but I did and you know I yeah. like just it's yeah it's definitely like very nice for me to have it as a little I guess compilation of the six months that really changed who I am and kind of to see that growth kind of put onto paper is something special to me totally so I have a lot of questions that I think could be useful for listeners. Um, the first that I wanted to talk through was just about like costs and money associated because that can often be a roadblock for many people who want to travel. So how how did you manage to, you know, how did you go about saving money to travel abroad solo for six months? What was kind of the approach or methods that you took to save money so you could do this? Yeah, so I definitely had multiple kind of part part time jobs from like coaching and babysitting and tutoring in high school and different um, like part time, I guess, random teaching fellow like research positions in college as well. But I think the bulk of my savings came from doing multiple, uh, I think nearly four or five full time internships throughout the summer and my high school years and my college years. So that's where the bulk of my savings came from. And I was able to kind of set aside money. I always knew that I wanted to graduate early. And I didn't think that I would be taking on like a full six month solo trip. But I did know that I wanted to either, you know, like I said, like live abroad or do some sort of traveling. So having that kind of in the back of my mind always did help me to save up and kind of think about, okay, well, do I want this $20 new shirt or could I spend $20 on a meal somewhere else at like a nice restaurant? So Uh for me, I always conceptualize money in terms of, okay, how much if I save here, can I spend on something for travel? And I feel like that made it very easy for me to keep putting money aside towards travel because that is one of my biggest priorities. So Yeah, I think it just comes down to people spend money on different things. And for me, travel was a big one. So whether it be like not eating out all the time in college and, you know, not Ubering places. And even when I was traveling, like staying in hostels, like eating street food, like I had a pretty strict budget of how much I would spend on accommodation and food per day, which we can also talk about after. But I think most of my savings came from a lot of different just part time jobs and mostly like full-time internships that I did when I was in school. Yeah. So what was your approach for managing costs for traveling um, despite not working and having a stream of income? Like how did that, you know, kind of factor into your decisions on where you're traveling to or your style of travel? I mean, you kind of just touched on it with like the hostels, but Mm -hmm. can you kind of talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I was saving up for, like something when I was graduating early. And so I had like a set amount of money that I was okay with spending. And with that came, okay, how can I adjust my style of travel so that I can fit six months within this amount of money. And so that meant, yes, like backpacking everywhere. I never checked in a bag anywhere that I went. And I was basically just cycling between like the same five outfits everywhere. And no, that didn't make for like cute Instagram photos, but it did allow me to save a lot of money um, in terms of bags, save a lot of just space and time and everything. So that was number one. Number two, staying in hostels. So never really spent 
more I mean only in like Europe did I spend almost like $50 a night but that was like the most that I spent on accommodation a night ever like everywhere else that I traveled was pretty much cheaper than the US and Western Europe so in Southeast Asia I was spending like $10 on a hostel a night like things like that Mm -hmm. so um yeah staying in hostels three was choosing places that did not have as high of a cost of living as the U.S. So out of the nearly 25 to 30 countries that I went to, I think only maybe six had like similar standard of living as the U.S. So everywhere else was like Central Asia, Eastern Europe, Latin America, Southeast Asia, which were all significantly cheaper than the U.S. So being lucky enough to travel on the dollar, it definitely was easier to make the most of whatever money I had by going to places that were cheaper than the U.S. And then my biggest, biggest money saver was definitely credit card points. I have had a ton of credit card points saved up for Mm -hmm. flights and accommodation, especially through COVID, like not traveling for two years. I basically had like a huge load of credit card points. So I booked probably 80% of my long haul flights using credit card points, which came really, really in handy and keeping costs down because especially now like flights are definitely the biggest cost of traveling. And especially because I did want to prioritize seeing more places as opposed to staying put. Um, I did kind of sacrifice, you know, nice places to stay or nice restaurants in favor of spending on flights. So yeah, definitely just prioritizing Um, or thinking about what my priorities were. Like I didn't care about my pictures, so I was able to backpack. I didn't care about fancy restaurants, so I was able to spend more on flights, so things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I love all of what you said. I think there's also an element of just embracing the season that you're in. And I think this is especially so applicable to like people in their 20s. Like when I was traveling in my early and mid 20s, I was staying in hostels. I was taking $9 bus rides between countries in Southeast Asia. And I was doing all those things like that I don't know quite know if I would do today. But like I was doing those things and while it was letting me save money, those created such unique stories and memories that I definitely would not have gotten if I stayed at the Marriott hotel and Mm -hmm. had a travel agent customize my entire itinerary. You know what I mean? Um, And I know you mentioned like you chose, you you traveled to a lot of countries where um, you had a lot of purchasing power as a Westerner. So I think that's really important to keep in mind as well, if you're trying to try, if you're trying to plan travels and you want to stay on a budget, like there's a lot of countries, depending on where you go, like your dollar could go a long way. Um, even even like now in Europe, I mean the U.S. at least as of August 2022, like the euro has fallen so much that mm-hmm. you could, you know, it's almost like an even exchange. Um, but even beside that, Central Asia, mm-hmm. eight, Southeast Asia, those parts of the um, world you're going to get a lot more for your money if you're from the U.S. or like a Western country. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, I feel like there are definitely ways to, you know, fit every budget to some form of travel, even if it's not, you know, the luxurious stuff that you see on the front page of every Instagram and, you know, in like in Italy or something. But there's always places to go and every place is worth seeing. So I truly believe that um, Mm -hmm. you can make things work. Mm-hmm. How much would you say you spent roughly like each month on traveling? 
Yeah, so I didn't uh, do it by month, but I definitely, so including all of my international flights, I tried to keep an average of like $100 a day. So that meant that my spending itself on each day for food and accommodations was like less than 100, but including a lot of the flight costs of like long haul flights and whatever buses and trains, it definitely got up to more. But that was like kind of around where I tried to hover, including like all of my costs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I know you mentioned credit card points, which are seriously like the bee's knees. Credit card Mm -hmm. points are not something to sleep on. I I have the Chase Sapphire, um, I think it's the Reserve Chase Sapphire. It's like the top, the highest one. And, you know, a lot of people get sticker shock by the the fee because I think mm-hmm. the fee is now like six or seven hundred dollars. But honestly, if you travel a lot, it is totally worth it. Mm-hmm. And you will absolutely get your money back. Like even with the fee, I think they give you like a two or three hundred dollars. I think it's three hundred dollar credit for airlines mm-hmm. and then all the other perks that come with it. Insurance, the points, it is totally worth it. I've booked so many flights, domestic flights, international flights, just mm-hmm. solely using points from that card alone. Yeah, I have the same, like the Chase Sapphire, I think, uh, I don't remember, like preferred or something like that. But definitely, especially on a couple of the domestic trips that I've taken this year with flight prices being so insane, like I've definitely spent a unreasonable amount of points as well. But it has been a little less uh, shocking to my wallet to not have to spend the crazy, crazy flight prices right now. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so let's move on and talk about safety because that's a common concern for a lot of people when when traveling. And I think some of the things that you wrote in your book, I totally resonated with in terms of, um, you know, my experience as well in that, like, the world is almost always safer than what you've been taught to think. You know, obviously, you have to exercise common sense and trust your gut intuition and things like that. I will say from my own experience of spending time abroad, the only one time I felt uneasy and scared for my life was a situation where I was not exercising common sense and Mm -hmm. went against what my gut was telling me, even though I had a lot of opportunities to like escape, you know, get out of the situation. Anyways, I, I was not using my common sense and I like knew it in that moment too. Um, and that was the only time I can think of that I truly ended up in what was a kind of a scary situation, but that was a single instance out of an entire collective experience, experience of over a year of spending time abroad. So I'm curious, did you, did you have any of those unsafe or like scary encounters throughout your travels? And it's not to scare people, but more so to share like, you know, what happened, what you took away from that, you know, in terms of like preventing that for the future. And then, you know, what kind of advice do you have for deflecting, I guess, unwanted attention as a female who's traveling alone? Yeah, of course. This is definitely one of the most common questions I get asked. And people are always surprised when I say no, I didn't have any encounters where I felt like my life was in danger or that, you know, my security was in danger. Um, I think the worst things that I encountered were just like cat calls or, you know, random comments on the street. But even then, like I probably get more of those on in my daily life in New York than I did anywhere else in the world, which people are always surprised to hear. But I felt completely comfortable in almost I mean, in all of the countries that I went to. And I think 
that is just a testament to the fact that yes, the world is much safer than you think it is because a lot of the places that I went to were not necessarily on people's radars, like Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan and um, Saudi Arabia and things like that. Like people don't, people were very concerned when I told them I was going there, but in all these places, I felt completely safe as a female traveler. And a lot of times I honestly felt super like more welcomed than anything else. So I definitely um, was both a combination as of luck as well as some tips that I have for staying safe as a solo female traveler. So one, I do not walk at night by myself. Um, if the sun is starting to set, I will just, you know, have dinner and start to head back to the hostel. Um, really no questions asked on that rule. Definitely not past like super late at night either. And so that has helped me avoid probably a almost all if not most problems because I do tend to think that bad things are more likely to happen at night um, number two is annoying but definitely I do trust try to dress more, much more modestly when I'm traveling than I do when I'm at home so like pants or you know nothing like showing a lot of I don't know cleavage or skin and definitely it depends on the country that I'm in but if I know I'm in a country that is a little bit more modest and that's just the cultural um, like norm, I will dress more modestly. And that did help me avoid a lot of unwanted attention. Um, and number three is that I don't like get intoxicated on my own. I don't, I know that, you know, if something were to happen to me, I don't really have someone that I can completely trust to take care of me. And uh, that's just a situation that I want to avoid. And for me, it's personally not a big part of traveling to go out and party every night so I feel like my personality <laughs> helps with that but it's yeah. also definitely a safety thing too where I don't want to be in any situations where I don't have control over myself so those are like definitely my three like holy grail tips that have helped me a lot I feel like in terms of staying safe while traveling yeah yeah that was also good I think the only other things I that kind of just come top of mind is um you're sharing your location on your mm -hmm. phone with family and friends like yeah. you know, on your iPhone I think most of our phone plans are pretty advanced now so even if you're traveling abroad it's still really easy yeah. to stay connected even if you're in different countries so you know sharing locations with trusted family and, and friends is important mm -hmm. um definitely you know the dressing appropriately like not wearing expensive jewelry or watches mm -hmm. when you're out and about like most hotels and guest houses will have safes so that you can store your valuables in there. But, you know, if you're walking around Europe with a Rolex watch or a Cartier mm -hmm. bracelet, like you're putting yourself at a higher risk of people wanting to rob you because they think you have money. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, do you have anything else that you want to say to people who are afraid of traveling alone because they're told it's not safe to do so? Yeah, I guess my biggest piece of advice is to not believe everything you read on the internet or on the news. Like, yes, I know that's the closest thing we have to knowing what another place is like, but you do kind of have to take into account that a lot of the news is also media that is meant to incite some sort of reaction. So it's not always as objective as we would hope it would be. So, and there's definitely a lot of bias. So you have to go to places and create your own well-informed opinion of them. And that is not to say don't research anything beforehand, like definitely know what you're getting yourself into. And there are definitely still places that you are unsafe to travel to. But I would say that do your research, 
but don't believe everything everyone says. Like there are plenty of places that the internet might tell you are unsafe, but I went there and they're perfectly fine. So if you ever, if you really want to go somewhere, I do believe that most places of the, in the world are completely safe for any sort of traveler. And it just depends on being safe, taking the right precautions and kind of trusting your gut, like you said. Yeah, totally. I 100% agree with that. Like I know I've had my idea of what certain countries would be like based on what I read about on the internet or what the news says. And then I go there and it's just a completely different you know, experience altogether. Mm-hmm. So the other big reason why I think, you know, people hesitate to travel abroad uh, alone is loneliness. And I know you talked about loneliness quite a bit in your book. So tell us about how you dealt with loneliness while you were traveling abroad solo. Yeah, so I am definitely an introvert. So I feel like that is also something that did help me be a little bit more comfortable being alone than maybe someone else might be. So I naturally was okay with traveling solo because I am pretty good at entertaining myself and like being alone and with my thoughts. So definitely feel like my personality itself made it a little easier to spend nearly six months alone. But obviously loneliness still hits it's impossible for anyone to do something like that and not feel lonely but i think that some of the biggest things that helped were putting myself out there to talk to locals talk to other travelers like staying in hostels signing up for group activities Mm -hmm. like i think that when you are alone you are more open to doing things like that so that you can speak to people and have those interactions and i feel like some of the most like raw and you know, authentic conversations that I've had with people came from just being like, oh, like, I should probably, you know, have a conversation with someone because I'm sitting here eating alone, and I'd like to talk to someone. And that was definitely the root of a lot of the biggest lessons I learned. So I feel like that helps with loneliness is just, you know, not being afraid to start a conversation with just about anyone, because most people are kind, most people are so excited to share their culture, or culture, especially with a foreigner and that was something I experienced everywhere is that no matter where I was people were so so excited to talk about their country and talk about what they were proud of about their country and that definitely helped me learn a lot um second part about dealing with loneliness is just kind of being okay with being alone I feel like I talked about this a little bit before um like at the beginning of this answer but just because you are alone doesn't mean you have to be lonely. Like there are so many things that you can do that make you happy, like sitting on the beach, going to a museum, taking yourself out to a meal for one of your favorite cuisines, like just putting in headphones and listening to music and walking around a new city. Like those are things that yes, you're doing alone, but I never feel lonely doing those things because they are things that I love and they made me, it made me so happy to be in a new place and kind of doing the things that were kind of part of my like everyday routine back at home too. So that was also a way to cope with like always being in a new place was like finding little things like going for walks and stuff like that and having some sort of like ways to remind myself and stay grounded of like my home and like my, I guess like the people that I love and like the places that I love back home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely an element of loneliness that is good. Like just embrace it. It'll make you stronger. It'll make you you know, appreciate when you are surrounded with people and friends, it Mm -hmm. definitely helps you have more empathy for people. I think people would be surprised that traveling solo isn't as lonely as people Mm -hmm. may think. 
Um, yes, you know, there's some element of it that can be mentally challenging. But like you said, it's almost like your survival instincts kick in. And it just forces you to like talk to people, it forces you to engage with another person who may be sitting alone at a bar or a coffee shop or, you know, a group or whatever. And the more you do that, the more natural it starts to feel and it's it's going to create these amazing conversations and memories that you wouldn't have ever imagined. Um, like I remember, it wasn't a solo trip that I did. I was just traveling by myself in route to go meet my parents in India. Um, but it was like a couple of years ago. And I, I was going to go to India with my parents. It took Kerala specifically. And they live in Chicago. So they were going to fly out of O'Hare. And I was living in Seattle. So I was going to fly out of Seattle. And we were going to meet in country. And I think I had flown either Emirates or Etihad Airlines. It was one of those Emirati Airlines. And so my layover was in Dubai and it was like a 12 hour layover or something really long. So I figured, okay, I'm going to try to leave, leave the airport and see the town. I remember I, I specifically had called the, the embassy in advance to make sure that I could leave the airport and then come back and not run into any like visa issues or border type, you know, customs issues or anything like that. But anyways, all was good. So I I took the train <clears throat> from the airport to the Burj Khalifa because, you know, mm -hmm. that's the thing to see if you're only there for a layover. And I remember like I was in line. I was in line to go up to the Burj Khalifa and I made friends with these um, American diplomats. Like they were U.S. citizens. They were going to Afghanistan to do some kind of work. I, I forget what, but they were so they were so cool to talk to. We went up to the Burj Khalifa together. They had, you know, these super interesting jobs as diplomats going to Afghanistan. And I just remember we had such fascinating conversations about their job and what they do and how they got into it. And it was all just super interesting to me. And then they were like staying at the, at the Marriott or some other fancy hotel. So I remember they, after we saw the Burj Khalifa together, because it was like a super long layover, right? They had invited me to this happy hour that the hotel was going to be hosting on this amazing observatory deck. And I was like, sure, I don't have anywhere else to go. Um, and so they invited me to it. And I and I went and honestly, from a safety standpoint, like I was not concerned, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had enough conversations with these people, I knew they were legit, I saw their diplomat passports, which are different mm -hmm. than regular citizen passports. But I just remember it was such an incredible day meeting them and spending literally a whole day with them. And I remember like having to go back on the train to the airport because I had to catch my flight. And I was just beaming the whole time because it was just such an amazing day. And I did not want, want it to end. But I think that's just one example out of so many I can think of where I went into a situation thinking it was going to be lonely because I'm by myself. And it mm -hmm ends up being the total opposite. And I think those instincts really do just kick in that force you to strike up conversations or socialize with people who may be in the same same boat. And, and I've never had an encounter with others who may be traveling on their own and didn't welcome me with like wide open arms. Like you said, people are so friendly, they're so welcoming, mm -hmm. and they want to make those connections just as much as you do. Yeah, no, that's so amazing. And I feel like that's the perfect example of how you meet so many people traveling that you would never, ever like cross paths with like in your life ever again. And I think that's what's so special. And you connect with people that you wouldn't expect to have much in common with. And it's just right. like travel makes those connections happen, which is so yeah. incredible.
Yeah, yeah. And I think like there's there's so many resource groups and, and apps, I would imagine these days mm-hmm. for solo travels, travelers, like with the goal of uniting you with other people. I remember when I was in Thailand in 2016, like I would get on meetups.com, which was quite popular at the time. I don't know if it's still widely used. But yeah, I would use meetups.com. And the cool thing about that was it was a lot of solo travelers, but it was also a lot of locals that were on there as well. And I met like a handful of locals traveling and to different countries by myself. Um, and that was just a great way to like connect with people who are in country and then they're mm-hmm. willing to show you around or show you the gems that you don't like see on the Thrillist top 10 list or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's definitely nice to connect with local people because it's you know, hard to, people think it's very inaccessible to meet someone who is a local when you like go to a place, especially um, if you like stay at a hotel or a resort, but there are definitely ways to do it if you're intentional about it. And those are always some of like the best parts of traveling too. Uh And like with hostels, even if you're not staying at hostels, you can often still book city tours or day trips through the hostel Mm -hmm. so that way if you do that you're more likely to spend the day with other solo travelers as well whereas if you book a tour with you know your hotel chain you're probably going to be spending your day with groups and families which Mm -hmm. you probably don't want to do um so one thing i really wanted to also talk to you about was something that you wrote in chapter two and i think it was a chapter about saudi arabia Mm -hmm. but i read this and i totally recall having similar sentiments when I was abroad as well. So you wrote, quote, the things we treat in America as rights are privileges in other countries. Can you just talk more about that for our listeners and give some context and backstory on what you mean by that? Yeah, so just a little bit of context. Like you said, I did write this in my chapter about Saudi Arabia, which was a country that seriously opened my eyes into how different some places are in in the world are than my home, which is the U.S. And for example, people, you know, freedom of speech is not like a thing there. Like they do not have freedom of speech. If you write something against the government, you can be jailed and you can be executed. And that is something that you know, we have a right to freedom of speech in America. Like, for example, we can openly, you know, talk bad mouth any politician that we want or any institution right. that we want. We can write it on the internet. We can say Get on Reddit, get want. on Facebook. Yeah, you can say just about anything you want. And there, there were people that were even kind of, you know, a little nervous about saying things out loud that would be derogatory to the government or to the rulers just in fear of what would happen. And that just kind of like flipped a switch in my mind, like, wow, like, I can never imagine just like having to watch my mouth so much or in public and that, you know, people in America, they are always thinking about what more can we have in terms of freedom. And there are some places in the world that don't even have half or a quarter or a fraction of the freedom that we have. And it was just kind of like an eye opening moment where you know, my entire identity and existence as a woman who is able to travel alone, study whatever I want, you know, marry whoever I want, do anything I want without the permission of a male in my life, like that would just, my entire identity just would not be able to exist if I had been born in a place like Saudi Arabia, where Mm -hmm. women, yes, have more rights compared to, to maybe like a few years back, but they still are not free in total by any means at all. They still have a lot of um, restrictions on their lives that men don't have. And that is something that, you know, 
uh, we don't really have to think as much about in the U.S. So things that I feel like in the U.S. we are so focused on what more can we have? How, you know, how much can we how much more can we do without, you know, being oppressed or without having these restrictions, whereas we fail to realize how much we already have in terms of we are arguably one of the freest countries in the world. Mm-hmm. We do have, you know, some semblance of, you know, gender equality and women can do and work and say whatever they want. And those are just sadly not that's sadly not the reality in a lot of the world. Yeah, totally. I mean, if you asked 100 people to write down five words that are associated with America, like the word free or freedom mm-hmm. would be on everyone's list. And, yes. you know, despite that, like, yes, we, we have a lot of problems of our own. There's been mm-hmm. a lot more attention and conversation around those issues over the last, you know, couple of years. We definitely have a lot of societal and systemic mm-hmm. issues that, you know, marginalize certain populations and demographics. But when we talk about freedom of speech like that, like you said, it's completely non-existent in certain parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, you mentioned Saudi Arabia, like that was uh, what I experienced also in Thailand, because it is a criminal offense to speak anything mm-hmm. that is of an insulting nature about the king because um, mm-hmm. it's a monarchy there. And so there's even laws well, I don't know if this is still the case anymore because there's been a lot of acti- activism in Thailand over the last few years. But when I was there in 2016, there were laws in place that would even require internet service providers to provide the IP addresses of oh, wow. users that are you know, sharing their views online that may be mm-hmm. insulting or speaking poorly about the king or the, or the monarchy or whatever. Um, but yeah, like, you know, we don't even think twice about that when Mm -hmm. we get on our Facebooks and social media and begrudgingly complain about whatever it is. And so I think just like reading that chapter that you so eloquently wrote, it really struck a chord for me and like thinking back to how I had this very similar reality check type thoughts as Mm -hmm. I was traveling too. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like, to your point, I feel like travel exposes not just what is wrong with your own country, but also what is right and what we are doing correctly. And that was like a big kind of learning lesson for me. Like I learned so much of how the US is perceived from around the world. And that was like some, I think that's a reason that everyone should travel is to see, you know, kind of step out of your comfort zone and see the eyes or like, your home from a different point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, if you're if you're lucky enough to be able to travel, like go do it. Like don't yeah. think twice about it. Especially when you're young, especially when you're in your 20s. Like everything else, your career, your family, like all of those other adult things can come later and I think all of all of that will be a richer experience because you have a, a more broader informed worldview because of your travels. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so I know we talked a lot about the common misconceptions around like safety and loneliness, but is there anything else that you want to share with listeners regarding uh, common misconceptions or anything that you want to dispel to people about uh, solo travel? Yeah, I think the thing that I would say to people that either want to or have some sort of intention is just to start small. Like you don't have to take this massive six month world trip on your first time solo traveling. For me, I just started by taking small little trips in my own city by myself, for example, taking myself to a museum and then a restaurant and, you know, spending the day by myself. And then after that, I was able to go to a different city, maybe in like a neighboring state and, you know, do that by myself. And then 
I was confident enough when I was studying abroad to take a trip to a different country by myself. And yes, it wasn't like, you know, I went to London by myself, which obviously is a little bit more in your comfort zone because I speak English and it's very cosmopolitan. And those are good places to start off traveling solo um, so that you can build up your confidence and understand what solo travel is like for you before you kind of go off and I don't know like trek the Himalayas alone or do something super outside your comfort zone alone so I would say everyone's comfort zone is subjective and you just take small steps out of your own at whatever pace you find um you you know you find correct for you and then you will eventually build the confidence to do something that you never imagined possible. And that was definitely my experience um, in terms of starting small with small trips and then eventually doing this whole six month solo trip by myself. Yeah, beautiful. I love it. What is next on your travel plans? Any any upcoming adventure plans? Yeah, so I just have a couple of like small weekend trips happening because my, you know, six month journey is over. I am, I have started a full time job. So I have some Labor Day plans to head out to Colorado and then a small trip to Toronto after that, but nothing too crazy in terms of international plans yet. But I'm hoping uh, sometime in the near future after I've kind of settled into my new job and routine. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about wanting to work abroad? Yes, for sure. It's definitely something that I would like to do in my 20s. I'm not sure when, where or how, but it's definitely something that I would love to do. I would love to work in either London or Australia at some point because I visited I've visited both places and definitely can see myself living in either like Sydney or Melbourne or London. And um, that would definitely be a dream. But it is I don't know. I still need to figure out this job first before thinking yeah. about next steps. But it is definitely a dream of mine to kind of attempt working abroad and seeing what life is like, like uh, in that kind of phase in my life. Yeah, I love it. Cool. Well, where can people connect with you? Yeah. So my Instagram, like I mentioned, is NYC to Nomad. And that is where I do the majority of my posting and messaging people. So definitely, if you want to connect, um, follow me, you know, send a message. I would love to meet anyone, especially if you're in the New York area. And yeah, I would love to kind of meet new people. Awesome. Yeah, I'll go ahead and add that to the show notes as well. But thank you so much for coming on and talking about solo traveling with us. It was a pleasure talking to you and hearing about your adventures and what you learned and took away. And um, I feel like I need to go and like book my next trip right now. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It was such a great conversation. And yeah, I'm hoping anyone listening is inspired to take that trip that they've been dreaming of. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also connect with us on Instagram at thebrongrel underscore podcast and all other social media platforms listed in the show notes. Thank you again. I appreciate you being here.